Yes, yes. You can start. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of ELS Discourse. I am Yashifi Pandey, founding editor at ELS Review. With us today is a very special is a very special guest, Professor G S Bajpayee. Professor Bajpayee is the Registrar of National Law University, Delhi. He also serves as a Professor of Criminology and Criminal Justice, Chair Professor at K L Arora Chair in Criminal Law at National Law University, Delhi, and also as the Chairperson at the Center for Criminology and Victimology. Professor Bajpayee has authored 18 books and more than 80 pages, 80 papers, more than three dozen op-eds in the leading dailies like Indian Express. the hindu the tribune etc and 12 project reports and several monographs sir has also held many prestigious international assignments for advanced research in criminal law and criminal justice he is also the president of the indian society of victimology executive committee of the world society for victimology and vice president of victim support asia it is indeed an honor to have this conversation with you sir thank you Uh, so i'll start with the first question yes september 2020 70% of the prisoners in india are under trials in your opinion what are the necessary changes that are required to be brought about with respect to bail laws in the country to safeguard the liberty of the accused yeah thank you first of all for having me here today uh, as far as uh, this issue of under trial prisoners is concerned Uh, as we gather that uh, the the prisons are overcrowded of some hundred and twenty percent, that is the occupancy rate. And you will also note that in majority of the cases, these under trial prisoners belong to a very humble background. In many cases, they are illiterate or semi-literate, and we also find that. Uh, uh these under trials are lost in prison mostly for want of uh, either cases delayed badly or primarily they are unable to restore or manage the bail that they require to furnish to the court as a matter of uh, legal requirement uh the bail jurisprudence in india you know plays out in a very typical manner as we understand the law is provided in the Uh, CRPC under Section 436 to 450, and uh, you will find that uh, on the one hand we have a black letter law, which looks quite impressive, but when it is played out, you will find that the context in which it works it gives us very critical signals. The first and foremost problem which is identified uh, in this connection is. that the overall bail regime seems to be biased against the poor that is that is the whole issue which comes up and as i have said that the who are these under trial prisoners in terms of their profile you will find that the whole idea of detaining them is to make sure that they are present at the time of trial this is the sole requirement but it comes with a very heavy price for the prisoners the under trial prisoners therefore let me tell you some reality of uh, this thing you will find that in a particular year say 2000 accused persons are released on bail 
you know, and a rough estimate I am giving. And uh, you will also find that less than 1% of them would fail to appear before the court. That is the idea. But you will find the chances of uh, getting whale is nearly 28%. So which means that a large number of people would be behind the bar for some reason or the other. Why it happens, where law fails, there are lots of issues. But uh, without bringing much legality into our discussion to make it very simple, the, we have two types of uh, bails. One is default bail, other is uh, bail in non-bailable uh, cases. Bail in non-bailable cases requires a large degree of uh, judicial discretion. Now, how the judicial discretion is played out, that is something very, very, you know, uh, curious fact for us to know. Because what happens, what are the factors which are, you know, uh, identified or examined and what are the factors which are completely overlooked? So for the courts which are already overburdened in India, they do not have time to really apply to the merit of the case. Therefore, bail has become a mechanical process which would result in complete denial of the bail in many cases or it will come with, the, with such conditions where the amount of bail or bond will be fixed at a very higher pedestal and which would be difficult for the you know, people to manage in terms of furnishing the bail. But I find a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, thing here to be discussed is that what are the factors which are completely away from the you know uh, judicial site those factors which become crucial like for instance if we say the uh, condition relating to accused his uh, identity his responsibility his reputation his character his connection with community his family ties his means his standards in the society his roots in the community now judiciary doesn't have any way to underscore these factors which will become very very crucial in deciding the bail in favor of the accused or the offender or as the case may be so that is one so there is no reason however the the, the some respite that we find in our laws. Our laws are pretty fine, but the problem is like uh, we find that in one half uh, section, especially 436A was added. 436A brought a lot of hope and that came actually as a consequence of a large number of people, you know, getting detained in, in, inside the prison as under trial. So a special mechanism was uh, brought out where a section was inserted and this section now provides for releasing an accused on his personal bond and in case one who has undergone up to one half of the maximum uh, you know period of imprisonment specified for that offense during the period of uh, you know investigation inquiry or trial so this provision is uh, no, but this provision is not applicable in those offenses like death penalty and all that so, 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 and, and the court has to hear the public prosecutor also before deciding upon the release of the accused under this section. So there are lots of things where the reform is necessary. Like I find even under section 439, special powers have been given to high courts and session court uh, 
where they can really come out to see that whether a case is fit for the bail or they can make a review of the matter to be able to decide. But what I find very briefly speaking on this issue is that some important provisions are not being invoked. And one important reason which I again gather is that like if you look at the you know uh, state of Punjab versus uh, Meher Singh, in this case, the court observed that uh, in the absence of a special order of the magistrate, the non-completion of an investigation can become a sole reason for detaining the offender for remand. So remand has become a kind of rule and remand in many cases. So if an investigation remains incomplete for some reason, it will result into the you know, detention of the person. Similarly, section 3092 deals with the remand of the accused after the cognizance of the offense uh, you know, has been taken by the court. So where the trial is adjourned or constantly delayed, the court may remand the accused if she, she is, if he or she is in custody. So these provision nowhere mentioned that the magistrate may release the person uh, from custody. So this creates a problem of, you know, uh, you know, and the suggestion here can be whether the remand under the provision is a mandatory and also an exclusive outcome. So, so this, this technicality uh, would result into the further detention of the, so in all these areas, the bail law reform requires revisiting. And lastly, very quickly, our classification of bailable and non-bailable offenses uh, can also be, I mean, uh, revisited. Uh, more in favor of granting liberal bail to the people. Even the such, and, and the bail has immediate connection with the manner in which arrest is made. Now section 41 of CRPC has been amended, but problem is it continues people, the police is arrest friendly, arrest hungry I would say. So they will prefer more and more arrest rather than thinking of applying the provision of notice under section 41A. So in the, in the absence of the quick compliance of these some mandatory reasons, the, 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 uh, the population of under trial is rising and observance of bail law is decreasing. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, moving to the next question. Uh, given the low conviction rate in the country with respect to IPC offenses, what changes do you think can be made in the investigation stage or otherwise to ensure that there is sufficient evidence at this stage of trial to convict the accused? See, investigation and conviction, these are the two very crucial uh, now things with the conviction rate invariably remains less than, you know, 34, 35%. Uh, I think there is a huge scope of reforming the entire, you know, regime of investigation to be able to, uh, you know, provide a fairness in investigation, number one, and to bring more scientificity in the process of investigation. So the first part remains, which I gather very quickly, I can say, see, uh, the police officers who are in charge of investigation, they are not necessarily the law experts. And I find that because of this particular reason, 
the police officers continue to make several mistakes, which are then, then taken advantage of by the defense lawyer in terms of picking holes with the entire process, which may be resulting into either undue acquittals or for that matter in, in some other undesirable outcome. So idea of appointing a legal officer with the police station can be the first thing which would empower the strength and the capacity of the police. And this is happening. Uh, Delhi recently is carrying out this. Uh, they are taking young graduates to be appointed as legal counsel with the police station. Second, uh, second is the uh, prosecution and police functions. Now the prosecution remains a different department. So the guidance of prosecution is not available to the police to be able to prepare the case. And therefore you will find even the acquittal in very heinous crimes may take place. I would also suggest some kind of uh, technical, uh, you know, uh, requirements can enhance the investigation regime. Like for instance, idea of networking police stations with criminal court. So a lot of record, digital record, it can be shared, it can be, you know, uh, retrieved by these offices interchangeably for that immediate transmission of document and without and removing the any possibility of manipulating or you know changing the documents which which would drastically you know reduce the you know uh, the the weaknesses in the investigation process similarly the verification of fir so a lot of frivolous fir but the idea of a preliminary inquiry and also I find that IOs to record the reasons for delay. So a lot of investigations are washed up or sometimes delayed deliberately. If the, if the law is amended to, to make it compulsory for the police officer to record reasons in such cases. You said about the scientific investigation. I find that especially in uh, rural areas for this station, the protection of crime scene is the last priority for the police. So I think some education, some training about protecting the crime scene, prompt filing of charge sheet, due maintenance of case diary, and all these things, and taking forensic science help, like, like mobile unit and all those things can definitely, you know, increase the uh, uh, you know, efficiency towards investigation. But one thing which I always feel that given the practical problems with the police in India, as the India Justice Report has, you know, in 2019 says that long back the National Police Commission recommended that separation of law and order and police investigation wings at the police station level to be two distinct departments. If that thing can happen, probably there would be sufficient time for the IOs to the investigation. At the moment, will you believe that hard less than 30% of time, you know, is left with the police officers to be devoted to the police investigation. Rest of the time goes to the miscellaneous duties, but majorly to the law and order, you know, maintenance duties kinds of things. So investigation is one very important area which become a very decisive factor in the success of trial and success of prosecution. But huge reforms are needed. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, since I am on the uh, you know, criminal law reform committee, 
we are working, I am the convener of the committee. We are drastically reviewing the entire investigation regime to make it fair, transparent, and effective, which would require certain suggestions. And Supreme Court has given uh, a number of directions relating to investigation, you know, arrest, bail. Now, these directions should now become the part of the law. That is very important. So all these things taken together would definitely enhance the quality of uh, investigation. Yes. So, so the criminal justice system protects the rights and interests of the accused at every stage of the court proceedings and in turn sometimes neglects the victim's interests. So in most cases, uh, the rights of the victims are reduced to being a witness if and when they are summoned by the courts. And more often than not, this reduces the role of the victim to a mute spectator in their own case. What changes in your opinion are required to safeguard the rights of the victims in a criminal trial? Again, I would say that uh, on criminal law reform committee, our uh, uh, huge emphasis is on victim justice. Now, victim justice we are propagating in order to bring much needed balance in the criminal justice system in the criminal jurisprudence. But as I have realized that without bringing substantial changes in the laws, the status of victim cannot be improved. Because the victim is a marginalized person in the trial process or in the entire criminal justice process. And that is because of the fact that the term victim itself came as late as 2008 in the criminal procedure under section 2WA where the victim has been defined. But you'd be surprised to note that on the one hand the term victim was defined but you will not find any concurrent mention of the term victim in the context of various provisions where it could have been mentioned. So victim remains unrecognized, unacknowledged and therefore underrated. Now issue is the global understanding and the global movement for victims of crime in the wake of 1985 UN declaration, which facilitated a range of uh, reforms uh, in favor of crime victim could not reach to India in fact. So I propose three, four things uh, to, be, to, be, to be included. First of all, uh, we have to move from charity or welfare to make it more a right-based right approach for the victims of crime. So we are thinking of uh, recognizing as many as eight rights, which would be legally available, like they are available to the accused right from the beginning. So it may be right to information, right to participation, right to legal assistance, right to privacy, right to safety and protection, right to speedy justice, right to restitution, compensation and assistance, and right to services, different medical, other kinds. Now issue is these, so we are contemplating three stages at which the reform will take place. So we are contemplating first the statutory recognition, second, what are the pre-trial stages that the victim and trial and post-trial. So you'll find that especially in pre-trial, 
before the commencement of the trial, there can be a lot of things like informing the progress of the investigation, bail proceedings, uh, information regarding the arrest of the accused. All these information uh, generally do not reach the victim because strangely, no organs of the state is accountable to the victims of crime in terms of providing these information to the victim. And therefore the victim is, uh, victim does not have such information as to what happened to the report that he has filed uh, to the police station. Now, when, at the time of charge sheeting, for instance, victim is not a party. So even uh, the proceedings, uh, you know, result into discharge. The major stakes are with the victim. Victim is nowhere present. However, prosecutor is present, but individual presence of the victim is something very important. Should I say something? Uh, victim at no stage is heard as a victim of crime in the criminal justice process. Victim is merely considered to be a witness during a trial. So our job and effort at the moment is to bring the victim as victim before the court. And during the trial, we want the victim to have certain participatory rights where uh, it may be cross-examination, it may be uh, other you know, uh, stages where the evidences are being put. So victim should have a right to address the court which doesn't happen. And right to appeal, we have to expand this right, which is available at the moment, but somehow it is very limited in nature. So that is also a great possibility. And also I find that the sentencing stage, basically, then victim is omitted at the sentencing stage. So if you are, if you are mandatorily, the court is mandatorily, you know, hearing the accused the offender now, the, after finding him guilty on the question of sentence, why can't you hear the victims of crime? So we are propagating the victim impact statement to be included, the compensation system and regime to be made more and more, you know, victim friendly. But at the moment, uh, in 357, we have a arrangement of what I call restitution. Uh, that there is no guidelines for that, but 357 is a state compensation for which certain guidelines are available. But for 357, there is absolutely nothing. So there is need to work out the victims need assessment. So there is a huge possibility of centralizing the victim's interest in the criminal justice system so that the victim gets protection and finally assistance and rehabilitation. Yes. Yes. Sorry, it just got stuck. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, another important question which surrounds how we treat the condemned in the criminal justice system, and it has been a long contested issue, is that of the death penalty. And Project 39A has been conducting pioneering research on this, and the reports make for an unshakable case for its abolition. So what impact do you hope the project will have on the position in Indian criminal law? See, the, the adjudication of death penalty has always been a very problematic uh, area in the criminal justice system in India. And for that matter, elsewhere as well, because it is irrevocable. But in case of India, I find there are definitely, it looks that there are two schools of thought, retentionist and evolutionist 
but I find in India, the concern is not just because the death penalty is brutal, so it should be removed. Concern has largely been that the death penalty could not be executed and adjudicated fairly and in a transparent manner because the entire you know uh, framework of uh, law relating to death penalty provides a lot of judicial discretion and we have noted a range of uh, problematic practices in terms of adjudicating uh, you know death penalty like for instance Bachan Singh framework is very known to us which has uh, basically you know talked about the considering of uh, aggravating and mitigating circumstances for both crime and the criminal unfortunately in all subsequent judgments you will find that courts appear to be more inclined to understand and highlight the aggravating factors more and more thereby awarding death penalty but somehow the mechanism of understanding mitigating circumstances has not been given due importance probably the reason being that the court does not have at the time of sentencing any mechanism to collect the data relating to socioeconomic condition and the past life related variables of the offender which could be relied upon in the, the in the process of uh, you know sentencing and i do not find any present evidence where the courts were in a position to appreciate the potential to reform potential to reform became only a phrase which was mentioned in Bachan Singh framework. In, in, in none of the subsequent judgments, we find much of it to be present. So I, I think if you want to assess the possibility of reform, how you will assess it? Because, because you are at the, at the, uh, the Project 39A report uh, on death penalty, especially in uh, district courts has come out with a very convincingly they have brought out the the cases where you know they found that uh, uh, the sentence the, the sentencing and conviction is taking place on the same day if it is happening on the same day obviously judge did not apply his judicial mind to the question of you know ascertaining of aggravating and mitigating factors which it requires time so now when this is not happening so these things are becoming more and more you know problematic and in many cases now find uh, you know invoking collective conscience of the society as one of the reason why the death penalty should be awarded now it is again a very abstract expression how you will assess the collective conscience of the society in favor of death penalty so to my mind uh, uh, several researches have consistently you know brought it out that the 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 indian you know death penalty adjudication regime is very very uncertain very very precarious and i would say could it, you know are not up to the mark for various reasons so huge reforms are necessary evolution is definitely now the law commission has recommended 
So probably now we are not awarding uh, cases uh, in death penalty now more and more, but at the same time we find a contradiction is happening. You have brought uh, death penalty in POXO cases. So probably I think a lot is required to be done in terms of uh, you know removing these imbalances uh, in this particular form of uh, you know punishment. Right, sir. Uh, so, so I'll just move on to the final question. Uh, yes. To the data by the National Human Rights Commission, torture in police custody is a routine in India, with more than seventeen thousand deaths being reported in judicial and police custody in the last decade. In light of this, how effective do you think is the domestic legal framework for prohibiting and penalizing torture? And do you think there is a need to have an anti-torture legislation in India? Uh, actually, this debate is again uh, quite old for India because uh, the Law Commission has uh, taken a view on uh, custodial torture. But the debate in the recent past revolve around the India's position vis-a-vis -vis UN Convention uh, because we have not ratified uh, that convention till now. Though, though the Indian state tried to bring out uh, a bill in 2006, I guess, so idea was that uh, some reform in, in certain areas where the death, uh, where the custodial torture is more likely could be undertaken. But somehow I find that it is again the byproduct of a certain, you know, strange mix of factors. First of all, we have arrangements within the criminal procedure which provide for certain protection to the, you know, uh, accused. Because the legal framework is already there. So like, for instance, section 49. So it says that the person arrested shall not be subjected to more restraint than necessary to prevent his escape. Section 57, for instance, and all these sections are bringing out, uh, you know, uh, and section 163 also. So in these sections, we provide certain protections to the accused, but somehow custodial torture continues because we have, I think uh, long back, probably the National Law Commission, National Police Commission, sorry, has pointed out that uh, uh, some 60% some arrests uh, are informal. So informal arrests always come with a likelihood of uh, torture to the you know, arrested person because then the extracted confession, extracted statements. However, the law of evidence doesn't give any weightage to the statements recorded before the police as a matter of evidence. But still, the police try to, you know, make a headway with the investigation, and they need certain things to be, you know, uh, extracted from the accused, and therefore, and uh, I don't know, section three thirty of IPC and three thirty one of IPC has therefore brought in to provide certain punishment. Uh, you, I would say, a, a quite uh, severe punishment. Uh, in cases where someone, a public servant, indulges into the causing of any simple or grievous injury, are so so these things are punishable. Similarly, we have Section 340 and 348, 
where any you know wrongful restraint or wrongful confinement is punishable. But I find uh, in India, this is the legal side. On the contextual side, I find that in our police stations, the police officers have several opportunities to indulge in this kind of uh, misconduct, I would say. Because opportunities are there and they can get away with, they know that they can get away with. Probably, uh, you know, putting CCTV, bringing that DK Vasu's, uh, you know, now DK Vasu is a part of law, creating control room, sudden check, all those things now should become much more, you know, uh, you know, pronounced. Otherwise, uh, the, the, the way the Indian police work, I do not see even in near future these instances of torture are going to be reduced. I may be sounding a little pessimistic, but I think a lot of things to be repaired seriously to, in order to curb this particular, because the way the investigation is conducted. So police is driven to do these kinds of things, irrespective of the fact that we have legal provisions. But then you know how to short circuit the legal provisions and make it bypass and then indulge into these kinds of things. So probably a lot of multi-pronged approach, police training, the supervision, control, monitoring, technology, all these things have to converge into making of a, you know, effective, you know, system for, uh, for against this particular menace. Yes. Right, sir. Uh, so, so we are done with the questions. I'd just like to thank you on behalf of the entire team of Fearless Review for joining us today and for this really insightful discussion. It was an honor to have this discussion with you today. Thank you so much. I thank you for uh, you know, having me here today. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I wish you all the best for your uh, ELS platform for uh, you know, extending this kind of discourse and organizing some interesting debates on this platform. All the best to your entire team. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much.